This is the MMA Takes Podcast with your host, Brian Petrie. I usually crank the head, uh, the intro music on my headphones because it just gets me fucking psyched. Welcome to the MMA Takes Podcast. This is episode 42. Uh, I'm a little um, hoarse, I guess. You know, I had a, a wonderful weekend. I'm thinking, uh, you know, I was in Chicago with the with the old wife, and uh, we did some um, Chicago things. You know, had had some good time. You know, deep ditch pizza. That's a New York accent. That's not Chicago. Um, and I got caught in the rain. You know, and I think uh, you know I'm old. You know, I'm 32. I'm 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 an old fucking man. So getting caught in the rain for me is like you know getting got with tuberculosis you know back in the 1800s so my throat is uh not great it doesn't really hurt but i don't i don't sound myself i'm sure by wednesday today's monday by wednesday it's going to be completely gone um that's just the way it goes for me so i want to get this in early usually i record on wednesday um because i like to to see how the week develops with the news and the topics and all that but you know i'm gonna hop on here i'm gonna get into the recap of these cards back-to-back cards this weekend amazing stuff tough finale was great the uh, adelaide card which i actually didn't see live because i was i was out there uh living my life in chicago but I, I i caught most of it on replay i caught all of it on replay have my picks we'll go over the entire card and then uh you know there's a couple little little news stories out there but uh wonderful weekend you know chicago's great i love chicago good midwest city um probably top three cities i've ever been to i've been to chicago multiple times my wife loves it she had she had been there Many more times that, you know, first time I went with her was, you know, five years ago. Never really realized how close it is to Cincinnati. You know, it's a four and a half hour drive. That's nothing. You know, I've driven to Maine for 15 hours. I've driven to North Carolina for 11 hours straight through, you know, this, you know, and I did that recently. So this drive felt like fucking cake. And, uh, you know, if anyone, <laughs> if you um, work for the state of Illinois in the state of Indiana, last time wife and I went to Chicago, I do remember paying at least three tolls, uh, like two in Indiana, one entering Illinois. Um, I remember very clearly, like, you know, the first two tolls were like a buck and the last toll was like five. We didn't pay any tolls there or back. So if you're listening to this and you work for the state of Indiana or Illinois and you you work in the toll booths, you know, I'm sure there's a bill coming our way. I'm sure our, our, our thing got pictured. We we never went there. I think we might have been in the wrong line. There was like an electronic toll booth, which I never even heard of. You know, Cincinnati doesn't have tolls and we drove right on through. So, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's cameras. I'm sure they're going to send us something in the mail. So I apologize. I uh, wasn't trying to avoid the tolls. We were ready for it. We had a bag of change ready to fucking throw at you but uh yeah it just didn't happen so uh overall it was a great trip uh weather held up a little bit we saw it was raining but we saw a podcast and uh a live podcast first time ever seeing a live podcast didn't know how it was gonna go it was dax shepherd's podcast really shouldn't be plugging his podcast because i mean i don't think the guy needs enough uh enough listeners you know maybe maybe he should plug mine so i can get some more listeners but <clears throat> it was good it was it was uh you know Wife likes the podcast. I love the podcast. It's a good podcast. Um, Chicago theater, great, small, not for a, a gentleman of my size. You know, I'm I'm six eight. Uh, I like to tell people I'm six eight. I'm a little over six one. Bigger guy, uh, crammed in there like sardines. Place was sold out. Um, Gillian Flynn was the guest. We didn't know that until about maybe he came out and announced who the guest was. She lives in Chicago, apparently. She wrote Gone Girl. Pretty good guest. You know, she's smart. She's intelligent. Dax is entertaining. Um, A lot of females. I got to say, a a ton of females there. I was blown away by how many females. Like, Dax Shepard's like a rock star now. I mean, like... Everything he said, they wooed and hollered. So, no, but I was, you know, it was interesting for when I showed up because, you know, the goal, I'm not, I'm not talking to this microphone um, because I like the sound of my voice. I'm talking because obviously I want to get to a place where I can do this full time and I can, you know, sell some ads and people want to listen to me. Um, so it was kind of cool seeing this. Like, you know, Dak Shepard obviously was famous before the podcast, but, you know, he has a great podcast. And I know that that's like the new thing is, these successful podcasts go and do live shows. I mean, they make some money that's, you know, they perform, they get the ticket sales. It's another way to bring money in. I, I, you know, and, um, hopefully, I mean, obviously that'd be awesome if if I get to go do a live show and have a bunch of MMA 
you know, fucking crazy MMA fans come up and ask me questions and we can discuss whatever. I mean, that would be fun, but I mean, I don't know how, how, how that, if that's going to happen ever. I mean, obviously the, nothing's that nothing's impossible. If I learned anything in this world, nothing's impossible. You know, you, you miss a hundred percent. You don't take right. Right. Michael Scott. That's a Michael Scott quote. Um, but yeah, so anyway, great trip to Chicago, uh, had a, you know, wasn't there as long as we wanted to be, but, um, great show by Dak, uh, Dax, uh, Dax Shepard, uh, pretty cool standing live podcast, you know, how it all worked, but, uh, let's get into some fights, huh? Let's get into some, what happened. There's a lot of fights this weekend. I put a lot of money on the line. Um, did great. We're, we're, we're going to separate these. We're going to do the tough finale card and we're going to do the Adelaide card. Tough finale card was on Friday night. So we'll do that first. I went nine and one on my picks, nine and one on my bets. You bet your fucking ass I did. Uh, great night for me. I did not pick the female finale fight. Um, I know I said on the last podcast I was going to tweet that out. I, I did not. And then they added two more fights, I believe, two more heavyweight fights, and and, and I think a, another female forty five er. So basically, the semifinals of you know whoever didn't whoever didn't make it to the finals. I know Maurice Green submitted Batista, and then the 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 two females. I'm 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 blanking on their names, but they had a pretty good fight at one forty five. So whoever the runner ups fought essentially. So I didn't pick those fights. So I'm nine and one on the fights I picked. My locks of the night was Kamar Usman. He dominated. We'll get into Kamar Usman. He looked fantastic. My underdog lock of the night was Edmund Shabazian. Barely squeaked that out. I have no idea what kind of performance that was. We'll get into that as well. My other lock of the underdog lock of the night, which was wrong, was Rick Glenn. He ended up closing as a favorite. I got him as an underdog. It's the only fight I picked wrong. He lost a really close fight with Kevin Aguilar. Kevin Aguilar. Aguilar's tough as nails. I hit on my Joseph Benavidez under. He absolutely dominated Alex Perez. And so yeah, let's get into it. We'll go fight by fight. We'll well no one will go fight by fight. We'll go we'll go who who looked great. So Hani Barcelos Barcelos. He looked great again. He um got a huge cut on his head in the second round by an elbow from Chris Gutierrez. And you know, that's it. I mean, you get cut on the eyebrow and there's a lot of blood coming. You gotta think, okay, they might stop this fight. Honey, honey, how you pronounce it? Just fucking was like, nope, not today. Finished it on the ground. It looked amazing. Tim Means versus Ricky Rainey. Ricky Rainey um, looked, he was a pretty big underdog. He looked in great shape. Good body type for that division. But Tim Means is mean, man. Dirty Bird is mean. He looked unbelievable. I knew he was going to win big. I didn't like the line because, you know, you never know what Tim Means. He's he's a little bit of an up-and-down fighter. I mean, he's 27 out of 10. But he looked fantastic. You know, I put a little money on that. That was the one fight, actually, I, I was, like, a little nervous about just because I really don't know what Tim Means is going to show up. But he brought it. He looked amazing. Roosevelt Roberts, who came off the contender series, nice little win for him over Darryl Horcher. Six standing guillotine choke, just brutal. I really like the look of this Roosevelt Roberts kid. He's good, tall, lean kid for that division, the lightweight division. Looked like he had some good hands. I know he's better on the ground. That's his bread and butter. And he had a tight guillotine. Someone to look out for in this division. Joe B. Should have been my lock of the night. I, I regret not picking that. Um, you know, he, listen, Joe B. still one of the best in the world. He's 34 years old. He's been around for a while. <clears throat> he's moved camps. He lives in Las Vegas now um, as opposed to Sacramento. So he's not a team alpha male. I noticed in his corner that he had switched up a little bit. There wasn't the same cornerman. I know he had Lance Palmer there, but some of his striking coaches are, are a little different now. I thought he looked fantastic against a really tough Alex Perez. Alex Perez is big for that division. That dude can go out to 135. Joe B, though, was dipping his head, was landing big body shots, landing big right hands, took took a few shots, and then ultimately just basically finished twice. Uh, Yves Levine completely blew that fucking fight. I would be so mad if I was Joe B. He put his hands on him and was, like, ready to stop the fight. And, and it would have been, a you know, a, a, one of those – you got to be decisive. It would have been one of those stoppages where – Perez might have complained, but it is what it is, right? He was getting fucking wailed on by beat Joe B. And this dude put his hands on Joe B, stops. Perez gets up, try to take, takes him down, and Eve lets him go. And then so Joe B's sitting there thinking the fight's over, and now he's got to kind of get that gear back up. <clears throat> so basically, Joe B got two finishes. I think I should have got paid twice for that fight. Uh, I'm mad at myself. I got the fight right. I bet the fight. I won the fight. But I'm mad that I didn't uh, put that as my lock in the night because I really was confident in Joe B. Listen, a lot of people, the, the Perez's look great, and Joe B hasn't. Joe B coming off a big, 
knee injury, fought Sergio Pettis, so a really close fight. You know, that's your first fight back. You're fighting a young kid that that has a pretty interesting style. Joe B seems to be more of a striker now. He doesn't really like, you know, doesn't go for a ton of takedowns anymore. Um, and uh, I think takedowns and, and a little more pressure would have helped him in the Pettis fight. Uh, he got clipped in the Pettis fight, so obviously that, that maybe derailed some of his plans. But um, a little upset that I didn't get that one, if I'm being completely honest with you. Uh, I mean, I got it, but I wish I would have told you. I'm, I'm I'm here to serve you guys. You know, I'm doing fine. I want to serve you. But um, that was something that I should have I should have uh, definitely given you guys. Rick Glenn versus Kevin Aguilar, one of the fights of the night. Looked amazing. Both guys cracked each other. Bloody, bloody war. Rick Glenn is tough as they come. I underestimated Kevin Aguilar a little bit. I still think... He's going to have trouble with some of the elite 145ers. I mean, 16-1 now. Coming off the contender series, he's obviously tough as nails. I think, uh, you know, I don't really know his age off the top of my head. Hopefully, he's a younger guy. That way, he can build his skills a little more because he's lacking a few skills, but he's tough. It doesn't look like he's an easy out. He doesn't look like he's an easy finish. So, props to him. That's a fight I lost. I thought that was an an incredibly talented uh, fight right there. Both guys were tough as... Tough as nails. I mean, they both probably woke up and ate nails that morning. Rick Glenn was wore it the whole fight. Had no problem with the decision. 30-27 across the board might have been a little stiff for me. If I'm being completely honest with you, I think uh, I think it was a little bit closer than that. But um, I liked how those guys came out and brought it. That was, uh, that was a very exciting fight, even though I lost it. And I still root for Rick Glenn. I do think Rick Glenn's a little unappreciated. I think he puts on fights like that all the time. And then... Uh, Next up is Anatonia Shevchenko versus Jung Young Kim. Um, kind of a dud, if I'm being honest with you. Kim is a, is a good boxer, and Shevchenko just picked her apart and really implemented her game and, and you know did what the Shevchenko sisters do. They win fights. They win it however they want. They're very talented. They're very strong. They're very big for that division. Um, both of them are big for the, their, their respective divisions. So, um, you know, a little bit of a dud of a fight, if I'm being, you know, you know I know it's the Me Too movement, and, and you know, fair is fair, but you know, it was it was a little bit of a dudder. You know, it wasn't that great. You know, women's fights are, are usually action packed and balls to the wall. That one uh, that one wasn't all that great. And then next up, we got Edmund Shabazian versus Darren Stewart. Um, I was on Shabazian all week. People would ask me, "Who's the under that you like? Who's the guy that you like?" And I would say Shabazian. He's gonna come out. And he's gonna wreck Darren Stewart. I failed you. I failed myself. Um, Shabazian won. He won a decision. But I did not realize that Shabazian was um, managed by Ronda Rousey and that he trained out of Den- Glendale Fight Club and Edwin Edmund Tavarian is his head trainer. Um, I would have never picked that fight. I would have. Ne- I would. I wouldn't have touched. Um, I wouldn't have touched Shabazian. I would have went Stewart all the way. Um, that is something that if you heard that as my Apple Watch, oh, oh boy, hey Verizon, you want to uh, want you quit uh, message me? Sorry, sorry for a rude interruption, Verizon Wireless. Um, I didn't know that. Uh, Shabazzian looked great on the Contender Series. He came out and he had some great boxing. I thought his stand up was good. I liked his stance. His boxing was great. Darren Stewart is a big, thick guy from 185. Hits like a truck, has good stand-up himself, one-shot knockout power. Shabazzian decides to come out and wrestle him, which is a smart game plan. I thought maybe, you know, Darren Stewart's kind of muscly. You know, maybe wrestle Stewart and then get the blood flowing and then take him down. Um, and then maybe once his arms are maybe drained from, uh, you know, defending the takedowns and you can box him up. Shabazzian just wrestled him the whole time. You know, went for a double leg. Has a decent drop under, you know, turn the corner double leg. But he, he just didn't show. He showed a good chin, and that's it. Got super tired in that third round. I thought Darren Stewart maybe should have got the nod if I'm being completely objective. Um, Shabazzian was just shooting takedowns, you know, for his life essentially. Even if he landed any of them, he didn't do anything. I think I think he, you know, maybe lost two rounds to one. I think I'll give Shabazzian the first round because I think he did have him in trouble with a choke. But it looked like he didn't really know what he was doing when he got the back. Not sure if he works with Henner Gracie. I know a lot of those guys in LA worked with Henner. Henner might be one of the best jujitsu coaches in the world. The guys that come from Henner are fucking studs. I mean, that was Ronda's coach. She was submitting everybody. Brian C. T. City Ortega goes there, uh, trains with their Henner. Even Brendan Schaub at the end of his career was training with Henner, and he was getting a couple submissions. If Brendan Schaub is submitting people, Henner Gracie deserves a fucking medal for how good of a jiu-jitsu coach he is. Um, I was really let down on Shabazzian because I was really looking forward to seeing him perform. 
uh, you know, I can't imagine many people in the company are, are, are very excited by that performance, if I'm, if I'm being completely honest with you. Next up, you got Pedro Munoz versus Brian Caraway. Uh, love this fight. Didn't get to bet this fight. Um, I know Pedro was a was a pretty big favorite, and uh, and some people really like Caraway because of his style. I was all over Pedro the entire time. I was going to put a big beefy bet on this for whatever reason. My betting site that I go to, um, it was it wasn't even walking yet. It was the next fight up, and I'm ready to put my bet in, and wouldn't let me for for whatever reason. So I hold that I'm personally responsible. And then, uh, but he looked, he looked absolutely incredible. Um, Pedro Munoz is a, as tough as they come. His striking looked good. Caraway's got a great chin. Caraway's got a good pace. And, uh, and Munoz shut all that down. Um, you know, and it was, it was, it was damn impressive is what it was. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a, uh, I'm a, uh, not a Caraway fan. No, I'm a, um, Munoz fan. I, I've been lobbying for him. His only losses are all by the judge's scorecard. I think this guy's a real top, top talent at, uh, at 135 pounds. I really like him at 135. Uh, a great fight would be if, if some of these 125ers come up, him and Joe B. Him and Alex Perez, I think those would be really, really good if, if those 125ers are coming up. But a uh, big night for Pedro Munoz. And then we had we had some of the uh, Ultimate Fighter winners, Macy Shazan versus Penny Kazad. Um, again, I admit it, I did not watch this season. Macy um, is right for the division. She's a big, uh, not big gal, but she's she's good size for that division, tall, big legs. Um the true 145er Penny is is not a 145er, so I'm glad that Macy won. Looked like the better fighter in there, and she um, obviously is the right size for 145. You know, it's kind of kind of productive if you if you have an Ultimate Fighter tournament for the next 145 pound female tough winner, and they drop down. I mean, that happens all the time. You know, we need 145 pound females with Cyborg potentially leaving. You know, there's going to be a big gap. And I think Macy Shazan, uh, she's got uh, a lot of potential and she looked good. The heavyweight finale, maybe one of the worst heavyweight finales we've ever seen. Juan Espino, who is 106, maybe. No, I think he's 38 years old. Doesn't have a ton of experience. Comes from Spain. Trains that American top team. Comes from the Canary Islands, which I watched the little package they put together for him. I had no idea what that was, but he's Spanish. Um, Trans American top team, um, good wrestler, you know, uh, and that's about it. Big guy, seems strong, seemed like, you know, he is what he is. Justin Frazier, you know, has a great story with his son, and, you know, he adopted another kid, seems like a great guy. Trains out of some small gym in Arkansas, and just, he's 11 and 2. I do not, do not know how he got 11 and 2. I'm sorry, Justin Frazier. I know he's last picked on the, the, on the, on the season, and, um, you know, it was kind of like a, and Kevin Gasson was the last pick too. They kept comparing it to that. But Juan Espido came out and just destroyed Frazier, took him down, didn't give him a chance, and just beat the piss out of him. Um, straight arm lock submission round one. You know, I've I've done a little bit of jujitsu in my life. I've done a you know, I've trained for many, many years, and um I'm nowhere near you know any kind of rank in jujitsu. You know, I did nogi grappling. But uh, it, you know, uh, getting straight arm locked at a at this level, unless Juan Espinosito is is that's his go to. Like some guys have a dar, some guys have like ankle locks. If that's his go to submission, he's like really good at it. Maybe he could get it twenty percent of the time, but most of the time you're getting out of a straight arm lock if you're if you're a high level professional. I think that spoke volumes to Justin Frazier. I don't know if he's ready for the UFC. Um, I don't know how good that would look. I know they need heavyweights. I think Maurice Green looked pretty good. He submitted Batista by triangle. Batista doesn't need to be anywhere near the UFC as well. Um, you know, there's just not a lot of heavyweights out there. Most people, you know, in this day and age, want people want to live a healthy lifestyle. So they cut weight to get down to 205. But there's not a lot of 205ers, and those guys go to 85. 85 stacked. Um, yeah, I don't want to shit all over Justin Frazier too much. He is a professional fighter, um, and he seems like a good guy. But... You know, shouldn't be in the UFC. You know, eleven and two, maybe. You know, you're you see him. At, you know, he's kind of he's got a build. He's you know a little chubby. He's got some loose fat. I'm not really judging him by his body type, but you know, he needs to fight to outside the UFC for a while, and then maybe get invited back. But um, yeah, I, it, I wasn't super impressed. And then the main event, talk about impressive. Jesus Christ. I am a huge fan of Kamar Usman. I've been for a while. He was on the Ultimate Fighter. He won the Ultimate Fighter. Um, he was on the Black Zillion versus American Top Team. 
kind of watched that season. That was like the last season where I kind of like was in and out and didn't really care that much about it. That wasn't the best season, um, but he won and he obviously stood out from everybody on that season. He fought a tough Rafael Dos Anjos. Dos Anjos is a really good benchmark for people. Um, you know, he's not the biggest 170 in the world, but Kamar Usman bullied him, striking the takedowns and just he looked mean in there. His strike, his striking looked so much better than it has in the past. He struck with Dos Anjos, um, landed big shots, busted Dos Anjos up. Dos Anjos really showed how fucking tough he was. Took him down whenever he wanted to. Slam punches on the ground, slammed elbows, controlled the entire fight, never put himself in danger. Took a couple leg kicks. There was a left high kick um, that Dos Anjos was, was setting up quite a bit. That worried me a little bit if Kamar, I mean, because even if you block those, they can, they can read in, they can get in. But he was blocking them. He saw everything. His vision's great for the in the fight his instincts are great he's only been doing it for five years that guy's the next champion at once 170 pounds i guarantee it he beats anybody right um a while ago you know i'm a darren till guy you know i love darren till a while ago darren till was there was flirting with the idea of uzman and till fighting uzman would at this point with you know with darren till his wrestling and, and just some of his skills that need to be sharpened. You know, Darren Till's got such a good personality and, and he's very talented in his own right. But Kamar Usman is just on another level right now. I do not want that fight for Till. Being a Darren Till guy, but I'm also a Kamar Usman guy. He's officially my guy now. Um, he's 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 a my guy through and through now. I have a short list of, of MMA takes my guys and Kamar Usman now officially is on that. His fit, his outfit, his, you know, I call him a fit, you know, people who listen to this who are over 40, his fit, which is another word to say outfit is on point post fight, pre fight press conferences. This guy is, is looking fresh. It's looking dope, swaggy, whatever you want to call it. Did I talk, did I target the younger audience when I said those words? But Kamar Usman, I think, is a total package. Well-spoken. Saw him on aerial today. Very intelligent and talented. Apparently went into the Dos Anjos fight with a couple injuries. Didn't matter. They asked him if he would ever, if Colby and Woodley get signed and one drop out, are you stepping up? He said, absolutely. Put me in a sauna. Put me in a hot tub. I'll be, I'll be there. I like him as the next champion. I think he deserves the next title shot. Um, I, I can't say enough good things about Kamar Usman. He looked fantastic. If you haven't seen the fight, if you haven't seen any of Kamar Usman's fights, Go follow him on uh, on Instagram. Get UFC Fight Pass. God damn, he looked good. So that was a tough finale. Nine and one on the picks. Not too shabby. All right, so let's get to the UFC Adelaide card in Australia. Eight and four on the picks. Eight and four. I'm picking at a 61%, almost a 62%. It's since I started counting, I'm 127 over 80. Uh, did the math and I'm 61%. So need to get those up a little bit. I need to start tracking my underdog picks because my underdog picks are insane right now. I'm 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 winning those monies, getting those underdog picks in, and um, <clears throat> feeling good, feeling good, feeling dangerous, huh? How about I? I woke up feeling dangerous Saturday. I didn't get to see the fight, so I didn't see him live. I was following along. I did a podcast. Hopefully you listened to it. Hopefully you, you got won some money. Um, tough finale had a lot of finishes. Had a lot of a uh, lot of really in, intriguing fights, and and so did this. But this didn't deliver on the finishes. It took the you know the first what is that? The first six fights were all decisions, and then um, so that's not great to start off a card. Demir Igmalov, who I got right, he defeated Alec Gorgies by decision, dominated him. There was a 30-25 round in there. You know, that's going to happen. Christos Georgios uh, defeated uh, Mazuto Hirota by unanimous decision. He completely dominated him. Big shots. Got that one right as well. Kaikar France, who I was really high on, he defeated Elias Garcia. Elias Garcia? Elias Garcia? Elias? How do you want to go by? Garcia. Unanimous decision. Completely dominated. Kaikar France got dropped in that fight, however, but then eventually took over. It was a uh, it was a, uh, a fantastic, fantastic fight. So I got all the, those three are all correct. I tried to hit an underdog on Salim Tahari. He lost a split decision to Nakamura. Nakamura, tough, tough guy. 29-28. One guy had a 30-27. Um, close fight. I think the judges got it right. I think Nakamura didn't win that fight. But Tahari was was almost a 2-1 to underdog, and I thought that would have been a sweet pickup. Did lose that fight. 
Underdog lock of the night, Wilson Hayes. Hilson Hayes defeated Ben Wynn by Nas decision. Got that one right. That one felt good. Um, Hilson Hayes was underdog all week. I really thought uh, some money was going to come on on Wynn or, or Hayes. I thought the line was going to move a lot. Wilson been around for ever Ben Wynn, solid kid but you know I just I thought Hayes just had a better overall game and then if you really needed to he could use his wrestling and grappling to really kind of uh take everything away from what Ben Wynn does uh Alexi Kachenko a guy who's everyone's really high on he defeated Yushin Okami that's back-to-back decision wins for him now you know he he almost finished Alves he didn't didn't couldn't finish Okami um, guys, a lot of potential, but I, I, I like to see him maybe step on the gas just a little bit more. Jim Crut, Crut defeated Paul Craig round three with about nine seconds left to go. Um, I believe he's winning the fight. That was that that fight was heated throughout the entire week. Their stare downs, everything was really hot about them. I think Crut might be the only Aussie to win. Um, uh, well, Kakar France is Aussie or New Zealand. I don't remember which one he's from. But yeah, I mean, most of these, most of the Aussies didn't do great on this card. But Jim Crutt defeated Paul Craig, submission round three, Kimura, um, very good fight. That was the first finish of the card after the, you know that that popped up on the main card. Sadiq Yusuf, this fucking guy, my lock of the night, uh, huge favorite. He was when I when I did the podcast, he was a minus five fifteen favorite. He closed at a minus 600 against uh, Sunuman Makatarian. Suman is a Australian-born guy, um, submission guy. A lot of people really high-ranked in the Australia world. A lot of people like him. So Duke, uh, Saduk just completely destroyed him in the first round, um, under three-minute fight. Two, uh, first round, 214, he finished him. A lot of people complain about the stoppage. I agree, but reg- in the stoppage was a little weak, in my opinion. However... You know, Sadiq was going to do that every day, 10 times a week. It just He's just on another level right now with his striking, with his confidence, with his conditioning. Um, there's not many people from the Contender Series that really blow me away, and he was one of them just with three-to-one underdog against a really tough guy, and he goes out there and just, and just destroys them. Sadiq is a guy to watch. Huge guy to watch. So he was my underdog lock in, or favorite lock of the night. Underdog lock of the night was Wilson Hayes. Jake Matthews versus uh, Anthony Rocco Martin. This fight hurts because I, I've been avoiding parlay bets. Um, parlay bets were like kind of my like little baby when I was a kid, you know, or not a kid, when I was like 20, 22, when I first started gambling, first time I went to Vegas. Parlay bets were like, you know, oh, this is my baby. I can win big on this. And, I, and, I, and I've hit some parlays, and it, it's the best feeling in the world. I stood away from that. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to bet single fights. I'm going to go here, here, and here. Because whenever I go crazy with a parlay, something fucks up. This was the fight that fucked up. I was back and forth all week on this fight. On my paper right here, there's a W mark next to Tony Martin's name. Anthony Rocco Martin, excuse me. There's a W here. I switched it last minute to Jake Matthews. I thought Jake Matthews might have had the better overall game. Went in the whole fight. It was a very close fight, but I had Matthews up winning the whole fight. And then in round three, Anthony Rocco Martin submitted him with Anaconda Choke, just choked him out, and I got the W. And he's like on a three or four fight win streak now. Anthony Martin is uh, really, besides that stupid fucking name change, he's really uh, he's really hitting hitting his stride. He obviously called for a 165-pound division, which I think is a new thing to do now. He was an underdog. He was a value bet. I did not bet him. I was riding with Matthews, who was a slight favorite, but I figured I can throw him in a parlay, get the underdog on Willis, who we'll talk about now. Justin Willis defeated Mark Hunt. Pretty big snooze fest, 29-28 across the board. Um, Willis, I thought, maybe played this a little safe against Mark Hunt. Mark Hunt didn't really seem to be there. Last fight on the contract. We'll get to that a little bit later. So uh, Justin Willis and uh, Jake Matthews, well, Justin Willis, everyone, everyone, Jake Matthews, I'm never forgiven. Let me just put it that way. Uh, Mauricio Shogun defeated Tyson Pedro, which was a big, big surprise. Tyson basically was fucking pinballing Shogun's face the entire fight, and then just typical Tyson Pedro just lacks focus and and gets starts getting clipped, and then I think his leg buckled and he got finished on the ground, and uh, you know, good for Shogun, uh, but also bad for Shogun. This means he's going to keep fighting. I think he even called for a title shot, which is bizarre. I mean, you just got your fucking face smashed by a guy who, you know, is on a two-fight losing streak now. And then before that, you got slept by Anthony Smith. I don't know why you're calling for a title shot. I don't really want to see Shogun fight anymore. So if he would have lost, maybe maybe people would convince him, like, hey, maybe this is it. But now he won. 
So, you know, respect to Shogun. It's not like a Chuck Liddell situation at this point, but, you know, he's 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 been in some wars. Main event, Junior Dos Santos was tied to Avasa. I had Tai Tuvasa as a lockdown underdog as well. I thought there was really good value in that bet. He lost. Um, I, I really don't know. Maybe it was my fault because I haven't watched a ton of tape on Tai Tuvasa. I've seen the Arlovsky fight, which was a underwhelming. His two fights prior to that were, were electric. I know they weren't the best of competition. But, you know, he, he had that fight. He had that fight. You know, he was clipping JDS, and JDS was backing up the entire fight. And then he just dropped his hands, and JDS blamed a clean right hand, dropped him, and finished him on the ground. Not really sure what Ty's game plan was. He called out Justin Willis afterwards because apparently there was some – they got to some kind of altercation at the weigh-ins or some shit like that. I, I'm not really sure, entirely sure what happened there. A uh, little underwhelming by Ty Tuivasa. I know a lot of people think he's a huge star, but – you know, they did the little cool walkout. The New Zealand guys come out. The Hakas, they come out. Whoa, da, whoa, da. And they got the, you know, the cool traditional, you know, I don't know if it's face paint, but you know what I mean. And it was a really cool entrance. Mark Hunt had that too. I'm not sure if Tyson Pedro did. I'm sure he did. But uh, everyone that came out, the Hakas lost. So, uh, you know, that that's kind of a bummer for Australia. But really cool entrances. Ty very confident kid he came out smiling he's throwing up his w's or whatever the fuck that is i'm not you know i'm not really sure but you know it's just it's unfortunate that he lost um i had him winning i had him on the dog lock though there's a lot of value there i did bet that fight i bet heavy on that fight took a loss in that fight and uh yeah so good for jds he looked uh he looked okay i, I don't think he looked uh look great so that was the cards this weekend we got through it how many minutes we got here that talk you guys too long here all right, we're at 31. Okay, so I just got a couple more topics to talk to you about. Um, so, and then also what happened on, on Saturday night was uh, uh, Tyson Fury versus Dante Wilder. I did not watch the fight. I I've have since seen the fight. I didn't watch it live. Um, Wilder is a dog, man. I, I, I didn't like Wilder for a while. I thought he was kind of uncoachable. I've seen some videos where him in the corner, him in training, and his coaches are trying to you know tell him what to do, and he's kind of not listening to him. He's kind of firing back at him. Um, I didn't like that. I thought he was getting away with um, just his size and power. I, th- I didn't know if his skill was necessary there because of the way he his mindset was. You know, he's a very confident guy. I have since really dove in into Dante, Deontay Wilder. I think he's a very, very smart guy. I think he is, uh, you know, very intelligent, and I'm a fan of his. I think he is talented. I don't think he's the best boxer in the world. Tyson Fury cleared out boxing this fight. Tyson Fury jabbed him and was very very clever the entire fight had a couple miscues he got dropped i think maybe in the sixth or seventh round and then obviously he got pretty much ko'd in the 12th and got up like the fucking undertaker if you i mean if you if you haven't been on the internet in a while go check out tyson fury undertaker memes they're fantastic um i agree with the draw i i know a lot of people up in arms you know they saying boxing's crooked and boxing's the worst and all this i agree you know the, it could have went either way i thought it was a very close fight a lot of guys had tyson fury up big but I, i'm so impressed with with deontay wilder i mean he probably knew it was a close fight not many knockdowns and knockouts happen around 12 especially a fucking heavyweight fight so both these guys were in incredible shape and fucking wilder comes out and let the dog out in him. Let that fucking mean, mean dog he had in him. It's like, I'm winning this fight. And took it to Tyson Fury and dropped him. Poor, nasty drop. And uh, he, Tyson made it back to his feet. All credit to him. They'll run it back. I think heavyweight needs this. Anthony Joshua, I think his management's ruined him. I, I, I don't think Anthony Joshua's afraid of anybody. But I think his management team is trying to set him up for success. And that success is avoid a guy like Tyson Fury because he's huge. He can box. He's clever. And avoid a guy like Dante Wilder because he's dangerous. Both Fury and Wilder both are like, fuck that. We'll fight each other. Fuck fuck Joshua. And unfortunately, in boxing, we always get the fights that we want later in life. Like Pacquiao Mayweather happened five years too late. And, you know, so it's it's just one a long line of uh, disappointing in boxing. But I do not. I'm not super upset about the decision. Um, I'd maybe have to go back. I, I kind of I watched every round, but I kind of you know was trying to hurry up through it as well. So maybe I should go back and watch. You know, if I watch it again, maybe I can see one way or the other. I think um, I think what it, I think it was I think it was a good decision though. I think a draw makes sense. One judge had a one fifteen one eleven, which for Wilder, which was which was a little ridiculous. I think they were maybe a round or two off, really depending on the score. Wilder had two ten eight rounds though, so. 
Um, you know, it's the way it goes. But entertaining fight, heavyweight boxing is, I guess, back. I mean, you got three bona fide stars, maybe a fourth. Um, you know, but you got you got four, three guys that need to fight each other by in the next three years, I would say. And uh, I'm looking forward to the uh, rematch between Wilder and Fury. So that was the weekend in combat sports. And the only little bit of kind of news that really broke today, and I don't know how true it is because BJ Penn website is is clickbait central. Um, ben Askren retweeted it though. Don't know how, you know, I didn't read the article, didn't check my sources, but they're reporting that in January, the UFC is going to add a 165 pound weight class, maybe a 175 pound weight class. Um, I mean, I, I mean, I guess, you know, I guess if you do 165, you got to kind of get rid of, get rid of 170 and go 175. Um, <clears throat> I know Dana has been very adamant that this is not going to happen again. Who knows if these reports are true? I'm sure Daniel uh, uh, shut them down until like a reputable source, like an Ariel, Brett Okamoto, Kevin Ioli. So when these guys really reported, or even Dana White says it, I'm not going to believe anything of it. Um, Dana makes a good point. You know, obviously the weight cutting issues is, is, is a big deal, guys. You know, Rafael dos Anjos, he's too small for 170, maybe too big for 155. He's right there in the middle. A lot of guys are like that. Kevin Lee's pushing it. Michael Kies is pushing it. Um, it's not going to happen until a big, a big name guy comes out and says, I need this to happen. Uh, Conor McGregor, I believe even is in favor for it. He's the biggest star in the world, uh, in the world of MMA, maybe, you know, yeah. In the history of MMA, he's the biggest star. What am I even thinking about? Um, I like 165 and you would have to obviously get rid of 170 and put him at 175. Here's a little thought I had on, and there's so many holes in this theory, there's so many things you can pop a bubble in. No one knows the answer to the weight-cutting issue. I don't know the answer to the weight-cutting issue. These guys are risking their lives. It's a tough thing. A lot of these old-school guys goes, if a guy's missing weight, it's because he's been doing something wrong for the past three weeks. There's some guys out there who have no problem making weight. There's some guys that do. You know, A lot of guys are too big for the weight class. They maybe should move up. Maybe they think they're too small for that weight class, what have you. The only idea I had, and I have no idea, again, People can poke holes in this. I've never said this publicly. I don't think I've ever written it down. Uh-oh. If you hear that in the background, that's my little baby girl. Uh-oh. I got to go check that. I got to go be a dad. Hold on. All right. Sorry about that. Had to be uh, had to be a dad. Little girl run down the hallway, trips over her feet. You know, doesn't get that from dad. Dad is very nimble on his feet. So I was talking about my idea to solve the weight cutting problem. You had a new weight class. Again, preference by saying this, many holes in this theory. Don't come at me. Or come at me. I don't care. So, a lot of these guys, Kevin Lee in particular, a lot of these guys saying, I, I can't make 155. I'm too small for 170. You need 165. That's where I want to be. I want to be 165. Guys who are too small for that weight class, I think you get two chances to make weight, right? You miss at 155, you got to go up. Say they add 165, okay? They add 165, and that's a good weight class for these guys. And these are the guys that were complaining that 170 is too big, 155 is too small. They get at it, 165. Great. You fight at 155. You, you don't really plan on going to 165. You fucking you, you miss weight twice. You go up there, right? You go up to 165. You can't go back down to 155. Can't do it, right? They're talking the safety of the fighter. I can't make the weight. The minute you miss weight and the minute you move up, you can't go back down because it's too dangerous, right? Now, that's only if you've missed weight. Now, if you can make weight at 155, no problem, and you go up to 65 just to challenge yourself, then you can go back to 155. But if you have missed weight at least twice at 155, and this is for all weight. I'm just using 155 example. You cannot go back down. So, guys, Dana's problem is everyone's going to have no titles going to mean anything, and every guy's going to have all these belts. I agree with him on that. So if you take this problem away, you get Kevin Lee, for example, has missed weight, I believe, twice at 155. If he goes up to 165, he cannot go down to 155 ever again. And then a little added thing here is he was complaining about how he's too small for 170. So if he's at 165 and he starts missing weight, or if he doesn't miss weight and he decides to go up to 170, he shouldn't be allowed back down to 165. Because the whole thing was, if you're too small for 170, what makes you big enough for 170 when you start weighing 165? And this is for everything. Kevin Gaston, for a perfect example, he's missed weight numerous times at 170. I think he's even missed weight at 185, if I'm not mistaken. 
obviously Kevin shouldn't, Kelvin shouldn't be going to 205, right? He needs to find something. He needs to do something. He's a little bit of a chubster. But if you miss weight at your weight class and it's too dangerous for you to cut and you've you've had a pull out of fights like Khabib Nagamadov, I don't know if he's ever missed weight, but he's definitely had a bad weight cut where he's had a pull out of a fight. I mean, I think that catcher count is too. I haven't worked out the whole thing yet. This is a work in progress. But my my feeling is if fighters are truly concerned about their safety, which is the number one thing which they should be concerned about. If you go on record and say, I cannot make this weight and you have missed weight, you can bump up. We'll add 165. We'll add 175. Whatever needs to be done. But when we bump you up, you can't go back down and start chasing belts. Because that's what I think guys are going to want to do. They want to. They want to put themselves on the wall. They want to have. They want to be that record book. They want to have the two straps. They want to be the champ champ. Daniel Cormier is a perfect example. He's never missed weight at 205. But we all know how hard of a you know he did the towel thing. We all know how hard of a weight cut that was. He went up to heavyweight and he's fought better. And to consider Daniel Cormier, Daniel Cormier is built like a fucking bowling ball. He's a fire hydrant. I mean, he's not a big heavyweight. Wide, but he's very, I mean, he's listed at 5'11". He's every bit of 5'9". I don't care what anybody says. He's 5'9". He does really well at heavyweight because of his of his wrestling, right? That's he sep- That separates him from anybody else because he can wrestle with anybody. But, you know, this is just the thing. It, it, guys complain about weight classes, you know, and it, it's really the hot buttons right at 155 because you got that 15-pound difference. You know, I think that might be the only, well, 185 to 205 is 20 pounds. And obviously 205 all the way up to heavyweight, you know, that's 60 pounds. But the guys that complain the most are usually between 155, 170. They're like, we need that middle ground. We need to go up 10 pounds and then need to boost 175 up. But for titles to mean something, these guys can't just be bouncing around all the time. Now, the problem that is going to get into is... You know, when fights fall out and who's going to replace, you know, I'm sure a guy at 155, let's say uh, Dan Hooker, right? Who is, who's fought at one, well, did he fight at 145? He's a, let's just say he's a big 155er. If they call him up and go, hey, we need you to fight 165, he can easily be big enough for 165. He's never missed weight at 155, but if he's a late replacement, then it, then you start getting a, about the rules. So you got to add the rule. If you have missed weight in your current weight class, you can't go back down. And then if you go up, you can't go back down again because you're complaining about weight cutting. And then if you're just going to go to 170 anyway, then why do we add 165? So, again, I'm workshopping it. It's the only thing I can come up with. I know no one has answers. I don't have answers. That's the only thing I can think of. I'm just – if they add 165, great. If they don't, great. We're still going to get great fights. I think – 155, 165, or I'm sorry, 155, 170, 185 are hot right now. 145, you got some steam too. There's really not a ton of guys. I think Holloway and Ortega, you can throw Frankie in there. You can throw Mokano in there, but everyone else is still kind of chomping at the bit. Uh, Alexander Volchansky, if he beats Chad Mendes, he's a guy that you can throw in there. Um, there's a lot of young guys who aren't ready yet. So 145, I think, is about a year and a half away to be an explosive. 170, 155, and 185 are hot right now. There's got tons of talent. And that brings me to the the segment. You know what they should do? You know, when I'm talking to people, and I'm like, yeah, you know what they should do? You know what they should do for 125 pounds? Nothing. It's dead. Rip. RIP. RIP 125. I think they're done. So we're moving on. You know what they should do for 135 pounds? They should have TJ Dillashaw fight the winner of Marlon Marais versus Rafael Sansal. Easy peasy. Regardless of what happens with, with Cejudo, say TJ loses to Cejudo at 125, and Cejudo moves up. He shouldn't get an immediate rematch. I know that that, that might be tempting, but Marais, I think, gets it. Asuncao, I think, gets it. Asuncao has beaten Dillashaw and Marais. I believe they just announced Marais and Asuncao are fighting. So TJ Dillashaw versus the winner. You know what they should do at 145? Holloway versus Tega versus the winner of Edgar versus Mar- Morcano. Uh, Morcano is a fantastic fighter. Frankie Edgar rebounded well off the Ortega loss. I like Frankie Edgar. I think he's a tough matchup for a lot of those guys. I know he wants that Ortega rematch back. The guy's a fucking champion. He, I, I guarantee you he's thinking about it every fucking day. Um, so uh, the winner of Holloway Ortega should fight the winner of Edgar Morcano. I know Morcano is going to be the backup guy if in case the fight goes through, uh, doesn't go through, which is smart. But um, I like Edgar versus Morcano next. You know what they should do for 155? This is the no-brainer. Connor versus Dustin rematch because the first one ended with a first-round knockout. I think Dustin's gotten so much better. And Khabib versus Tony for the title. There should not be a Connor Khabib rematch before Khabib gets to fight Tony. Tony Ferguson needs to fight Khabib. And then an alternate, I will allow 
Tony versus Connor. I think that's going to be an incredible fight. Those four guys, though, at 155, you can throw Kevin Lee in there. I mean, if Ally Quinta beats Kevin Lee, you can kind of throw him in there because he's got, you know, he, he did pretty well against Khabib. There's tons of guys at 155. Dan Hooker, that guy's a fucking beast. He's moving his way up. He's fighting uh, uh, Barboza uh, here in, uh, I think, a few weeks. I think in December. So that's what should happen at 155. You know what you should do for 170? We'll leave us Covington winner against Usman. That's the only thing they should do. Do not throw anything else out there. 170 is stacked. Till should fight Ponsonibio. A lot of these guys should do a little tournament. Ben Askren, if he gets a win over uh, Robbie Lawler, does he get immediate title shot? Car, uh, Kamara Usman needs to get the next title shot over uh, winner of Woodley and Covington. He just needs to. You know what they should do for 185? Robert, the winner of Robert Whitaker versus Kevin Gaslam should fight the winner of either Anderson Silva and Israel Adesanya or Yoel Romero and Paulo Costa. Yoel Romero has a lot of unfinished business with Whitaker, and Paulo Costa is a scary dude. Brazilian Superman is frightening. That guy has muscles. I mean, he's got muscles on his dick, I bet. I mean, his dick has a six-pack. I guarantee it. You know what they should do for 185, or 205 pounds? Jones versus Gus and DC fights the winner. Scrap the Brock fight. Brock fight shouldn't happen. They should strip DC of, of the heavyweight title. I know he's a great at heavyweight. I know he's he's very plump right now. I know the idea of him not the idea of him cutting a two five is not something that he wants right now. I know he said the only time the only way him and Jones will fight is at uh, heavyweight. Jones doesn't want to do that. I think that fight means more to me. DC versus Jones three means more to me than the Brock fight. I think the Brock fight. I think DC steamrolls Brock. If I'm being honest with you. So um, I know Brock puts asses in the seats, but you need to scrap that. You know what they should do for the heavyweight? DC should forfeit his belt, get stripped of his belt. Stipe versus Naganyu, rematch for the title. Naganyu looked fantastic. I know he's coming off two losses. Heavyweight is super thin. If Aganyu's not ready and they don't want to do that, um, maybe have Curtis Blaze as an alternate. Curtis Blaze, I know he just got knocked out. He was on a crazy fight winning streak. Stipe should be in there no matter what. Stipe, insert name. Aganyu, um, Blades. Uh, Derek Lewis just came off a title fight too, but I, you know, I don't like that. I think Dan- Derek Lewis needs to fight uh, you know, someone else first before he, he, he gets a Stipe. A Stipe fight would be good, but you know, the heavyweight needs a lot of working out to do. Okay, I know Juan Espino, uh, Espino is not going to be fighting for a title. I do know that all right so that's just uh whoa, oh hey hey i almost ended the show i did not do a top five last week first podcast besides the pick and podcast and awesome podcast so really not the first podcast i'm lying to you but i usually do a top five haven't done one in a while uh this is no brainer this weekend is max holloway versus brian ortega probably Let's see. Yeah, I mean, probably I, I'm looking forward to this fight more than anyone. I know Jones Guffs, uh, Jones Guffs is in right around the corner. I'm looking in Cyborg and Amanda Nunes as well. I am looking forward to this fight more than any of them. I was super bummed this didn't fall out. Max is guaranteeing he's showing up. He's guaranteeing he's making it. I'm gonna break down that. This is this Saturday. I'm breaking down that card later this week. I cannot wait. Um, uh, I I've already kind of looked into it right now. I'm I'm up in the air on, on a lot of my picks. But the top five, excuse me, I got derailed there. I, I, I start salivating when I think about Ortega and Holloway. So the top five is top five featherweights of all time. This was uh, a pretty good list to do. Uh, featherweights haven't been around super long in the UFC, but I'm going to predate this to WC as well. I know there's been a, a bunch of fights in other organizations at 145. I'm going to predate this UFC WC of, really of all time. Uh, number five, it just happened. Yair Rodriguez versus Korean Zombie. Incredible fight. Both guys showed an incredible, incredible heart. Um, the ending is what does it for me. I don't know if the ending if the ending didn't happen that way. I don't know if this is on that list, but the ending was so spectacular, and the fight was just was just world class by two young, hungry, tough as animals. You know, Korean Zombie's the tough, hard nosed guy, and uh, Yaya Rodriguez is the flashy, very, very athletic guy. And they and they met in the middle, and, and they did their damn thing, and, and it was awesome. Number four is uh, a little throwback. It's Faber versus Jens Paul over at WC 34. Hell of a fight. Uriah Faber at the peak of his starness. WC was really picking up steam because Uriah Faber was, you know, his pretty boy. He's ruining everybody. Um, I believe this was his last or one of his last title defenses. He fought Jens Pulver. Jens Pulver just came over. He was dropping down 145 from 155, former UFC champion. They had an all-out war. Um, Jens got dropped a bunch of times. He got out of a few submissions. Uriah dominated most of the fight, but it was very, very entertaining. You know, Jens, one of my all-time favorites. I really am bummed out that Jens Pulver is not doing anything for the 
UFC. I think he was a great announcer. I think he he could he, he has a good personality. I think he needs to maybe be involved in the organization. Not really sure what happened with that relationship. I'm sure Jens is doing commentary for other organizations. Not really sure what he's doing, but he was a fantastic fighter. Love that fight. Number three is Holloway Auto one. Pretty easy. The second one was a good fight too, but Holloway beating Aldo the first time was was incredible. Max Holloway showed incredible toughness. His game plan. He just he, it just was a really really cerebral and smart fighter. I mean Josie Aldo. I mean the guys on this, could be on this list almost every time for every fight because he's the king at 145. And uh, I really really uh, enjoyed that fight. Just the skill on skill and just really seeing Max kind of you know when Connor knocked out. Jose, you know, that was like to change him the guard, but unfortunately Connor never defends the title. You knew when Max knocked out or knocks out Aldo, you knew he was going to be around for a while and you knew it was a changing of the guard. And, um, and I really love that fight. Number two is Mendez versus McGregor. Um, a lot of people probably don't think this is the greatest fight of all time, but just the moment, the walkout was insane. One of the best pay-per-views ever. UFC 189 might be go down as one of the best pay-per-views of all time. Um, incredible fight, incredible card. The walkouts, they both had music. Shannon O'Connor, Chad came out to some country guy. The production was a little different for that. It was incredible. The fight was great. Connor marched forward, was getting taken down, was getting elbow, got cut. People were getting concerned. Chad took the fight on like two weeks' notice. Connor then slowly picked him apart and then I'm getting a knockout his first title. I know it was an interim title, but his first title win. Um, incredible moment. Incredible. I mean, that, that goes down in history as one of the greatest pay-per-views of all time and one of the greatest moments of all time. Um, you know, cause in, and, and if we're talking featherweights, you got to have Connor on the list. You know, he's he's smoked a lot of the other featherweights. I mean, Dennis Seaver was a pretty good fight, but he dominated. Max Holloway was a pretty good fight, but he dominated and wasn't the most exciting. So him and Mendez, when he won the title for the first time, was incredible. And number one, it's a no-brainer. Chad Mendez versus Jose Aldo. UFC 179 in Brazil. Or was it? In, no, I don't think it was in Brazil. It was because they fought before in Brazil, and, and Chad got knocked out with a knee. They rematched, and it was incredible. Um, Chad hit Jose with everything. Jose was hitting after the bell. Very, very close fight. Chad got rocked three or four times and ended up coming back. It, it, it was one of my favorite fights of all time, not just featherweights, but just of all time. So that's the show. Man, I'm surprised my voice held up, but uh, it, it's always fun talking to you guys. So um, if you haven't noticed, I talked about it last time on the podcast. I'm changing my Instagram a little bit. Follow me on Instagram, MMAtakes.com on Instagram. You just type in MMAtakes. I'll pop right up. Um, I talked about how I did like some kind of like meme jokey shit that really wasn't kind of my style. I, I kind of hated it. Um, so I switched up and I did a little bit. I'm doing more of like a, a I'm giving my picks out, you know, with some pictures and stuff. I'm going to mix some different things in there as well. Going more of a, a straight lace. I mean, I'm going to throw some like funny stuff in there if I see it. More of a straight lace approach. But I know not everyone loves Twitter. Not everyone loves Instagram. So those are my only two social platforms. I won't be on Snapchat. I think I do have a Facebook page, but I'm not even fucking with that Facebook like your grandpa and only want to do it so go follow me on instagram follow me on twitter of course i did have a new twitter follower he sent me a message he's very nice i appreciate that that's the you know i thank you for listening to the podcast thank you for reaching out to me that was really cool and thank you for following me on twitter so need the twitter numbers up if you're listening to this just follow me you know say hey you suck hey this whatever uh you know it's okay just follow me on there follow me on instagram trying to do a little going in a little different direction with instagram but uh that's the show i will be back i'll probably put it out this one's gonna be on a tuesday or wednesday i'm not sure when i'll release it yet probably yeah i'll release it tomorrow um the other one the ufc pick them for the pay-per-view this weekend will be out i want to say thursday but we'll see how it goes i'm going over the card now i need my picks i i love one line I'll tease that. That's a little teaser. There's a pretty big underdog that I love, and I'm getting a little, getting that little feeling in my gut where I think I'm going to be right about this, and we can win a lot of money. So stay tuned for that, and I'll see you later this week.